Hello guys and welcome to the fourth installment of A Chat With Pat. On this episode I'm joined by Winner Simbi. He's the first Papua New Guinean to reach AFL VFL level. He's also a great human being, teacher and mentor. He's an inspiring individual and he shares his insights into getting the most out of yourself and the importance of pursuing your goals no matter what it is. I know you will all get something out of this. Thanks guys and enjoy. Much love. Winner Simbi, welcome to the fourth episode of the podcast, A Chat With Pat. Thanks for coming, mate. Thank you very much. Um, I appreciate you giving up your time. It's a late night and you've just finished up a, a little bit of a program or um, something we'll get into, so I appreciate you just giving up your time, mate. That's all right. Um, so, Winner Simbi, Portland, I guess, legend, <laughs> if I could, um, I guess, say that, and um, a man who's achieved a lot in the football side of things and been through a lot, fair to say. Um, coach at numerous clubs in the area, including Port Ferry currently, Portland, the man behind the three-peat somewhat, um, next to other great players, and a man from PNG, the first player to make AFL-VFL level as well, so amongst any uh, many more great accomplishments, mate. Um, and I guess I'd love to know about the story way back how it started in PNG, is that correct, mate? Yeah, well, that's that's where I was uh, born. Yeah, <laughs> that's where I first came start, into the yeah. world. Um, yeah, so I was I was born in Port Moresby yeah. in Papua New Guinea, uh, along yeah. with my brother. Yeah, um, my father is from there, um, but my mother is a drumball girl. Yeah, in this area. Yeah, yeah, and so what do you remember? Early on in PNG, you spent. Is it correct? Correct me if I'm wrong. wrong the first twelve years. Yeah, there. eleven. Eleven years. Yeah. Um, and yeah, look, I, I remember a lot. It sort of starts to vanish a bit as you get older. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, a lot of lot of fond memories. Yeah, very very um, beautiful place. Yeah. Um, a lot of my, well, that's all I pretty much knew as well. Family um, over there, but. We actually grew up in uh, in a prison barracks um, because my dad at the time was a warden. Um, so that was a really unique experience as well yeah. um, to grow up sort of in a compound. Um, but in saying that, just I think you'd hope that most childhood experiences would be, when you look back on it, lots of smiles, lots of love. And that's something that, yeah, I was blessed to have. Yeah, even... And that's amazing to me to hear that um, even in those somewhat circumstances, people were here prison barracks. And I guess in the back of their mind, PNG at that time wasn't the most solid of places. And it's still amazing for me to hear that, oh, yeah, well, I still had a lot of love and um, care and compassion even through my childhood. Yeah, look, yeah. unfortunately, every family, um, every culture, um, if you um, sometimes uh, peel it back, you know, far enough, you'll see that there are, are cracks. Yeah. That's just, unfortunately, human human nature. Exactly. You know, it's one thing we're all flawed. Um, but look, I'll, in my particular um, area and my particular um, father's area as well, they're pretty, um, yeah, placid. Um, oh. But, you know, still live um, by eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth um, when it, you know, comes down to it. Um, but like some things, that, that culture starting to change a little bit, but it's certainly not mainstream in New Guinea. Yeah. Um, so going through those early years, obviously school and education in contrast compared to your years here, was there some differences there in meeting friends and relationships and things like that? <laughs> look, lots was that of hard to adjust to? Um, look, I think we, we don't give enough kids enough credit. Uh, I think kids are very adaptable. Yeah. Um, even you know now that I've got my own, sometimes you talk about relocation or other things. Yeah, oh, I'm not too sure. But um, look, back in the day... Uh, yeah, I just I, I grew up um, and went to school at an international school. My oh. mother was a, a primary teacher, so I think even looking back on it, my level of education um, and uh, the nature of the people that went there was probably privileged to maybe people outside those particular areas. Oh. Um, so then when I came back to um, you know Australia. Um, it went into grade six. Um, not only was the people different, but I was different too. You know, grade five, I just, I think I had my first girlfriend and we held hands. Yeah. And then, you know, in grade six, 
you, you did a bit more than hold hands yeah. and yeah that was <laughs> yeah you talked to girls and it was it was pretty crazy but yeah. um good times met really good people yeah. uh, again looking back on it portland was a fantastic place to come to um you know i, I never felt anything um but welcomed from the moment i first arrived yeah what was the reason behind obviously you meant I'm guessing your mum's family in Drumbog played a part. Was that a big reason why your family settled in Portland coming from PNG? Part, part of, in terms of settling. Yeah. Um, my mum had given up a lot of her life um, to be in New Guinea uh, with um, with us. So, you know, as much as I was exposed to my father's side yeah. and we had lots of extended family, um, my mother... Um, was obviously welcomed in that society but the move wasn't because of that it was because i was getting into grade six and the level of education that my mother thought i could get and therefore my brother would probably be better here in australia and that's why we made that initial shift while we came to portland well maybe it was employment i haven't necessarily asked my my mother that because we could have easily gone to maybe haywood uh, or Drumborg itself, but we came here to Portland. Yeah, and I think the common theme in that is was a bit of sacrifice, and I think we forget as children, but maybe know as we get a bit older just how much our parents do sacrifice for us. So much like you said, your yeah. mum gave up a part of her life to go to PNG. Yeah, 100%. Like, even with football, you know, I was, we had some young kids joining in last night. Self-awareness yeah. is not one trait that a lot of young people will have <laughs> um and look it's something we we grow through or you hope yeah. that you grow through it um it's definitely good to have an awareness of yourself but when you grow as a person it's also being aware of others around you and how you can affect that space yeah. as well yeah 100% so was footy a con- contributing factor to that I guess building relationships and that self-awareness when you came over was that how your football journey began straight away yeah so looking back on it, it happened by default um, <laughs> my parents at that time went to church and look we, we still go there um, but my mother wasn't that keen on sport on on Sunday and soccer um, happened I think on, on that particular day um, so that was automatically ruled out but by the time i started to make friends and i suppose this is the irony of it um football was also on sundays but it was at a later time frame um so you know it didn't clash there and it was the game that you know australian people at that particular time played and it wasn't soccer down this way it was it was footy in the in the schoolyard um and it was footy after school footy to school and i was just saturated in it yeah yeah and do you remember much from your first i guess experiences with aussie rules yeah yeah definitely and more so the the coach that i had um a lot of people um in my era will know the name bob gladman and look Again, being reflective, I've been blessed to have a lot of good men um, in my life. Like definitely a lot of good women, and you know, we might talk about my mother and grandmother later, but um, and even my wife. But certainly, certainly men. So Bob Gladwin, um, share a couple anecdotes. Yeah. Uh, he helped buy some football boots for me. Didn't have to. He did. Um, he thought I could get better with my handballs, and he bought around. A um, an opening to a washing machine that he strung up on the wash uh, on the washing line, and I just had to handball that through. And he just was very patient and let and let me grow as well. And a lot of a lot of positive reinforcement and praise because uh, I yeah had no idea yeah how to how to play the game, but I didn't really know that I was under pressure either so i was in a really blessed environment but so too were a lot of us Mm, yeah and that's you know in those early years it's when when you have influences like that obviously helps so much it's for you to enjoy and grow and like for people to show that time and trust and then just not in that kind of role as a coach but as a person as well yeah definitely i mean you know he even got me some employment uh he had a a laundry business yeah. and anyway it was also about um, sweeping and things like that and we got a job on one of the 
um, the rigs down here um, that came into town, oh. and I got the the opportunity to do the captain's quarters at the time. And uh, look, I saw a particular type of video that was uh, X-rated, mm. um, and I put, <laughs> put it into the player as as you do as a 13, 14 year old, and. It was a really awkward moment because um, as I was vacuuming, the, the captain of the ship came in yeah. and I uh, didn't really know what to do. Um, Stunned mullet. <laughs> yeah, but you know, to Bob's credit as well, Bob never said anything about it. And you know, as soon as that happened too, I felt like a, I felt a sense of sadness as well, the fact that I could have let him down. Yeah. And that's something that, yeah, I, I certainly appreciate. So, yeah, you're right. He's, the way he conducted himself um, was far more than a, than a coach. Mm, yeah, and that's part of that, you know, self-awareness where you think and reflect. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, <laughs> may not may not have done that yet. No. <laughs> Very well. No. So, Bob, Bob was, he was your coach primarily through juniors? Yes. Yeah. Yep. And then throughout then, as we naturally progress... Um, into under 18s did you have or any or further on into senior footy um was there any other further influences there and how was that journey yeah look i, I had um, to when things i guess got serious yeah, so, yeah. well look uh, things got pretty serious um you know pretty quickly i mean i was playing rebels sort of you know around 14 15 so I came in as an 11 12 year old and the next thing you know I think I, I was playing senior footy at 15. and At Portland? Yeah, at Portland. Yeah. I think I had my first game back in the day. And, um, yeah, then it just yeah, moved moved quick. Is it true that, they, you know, they say that you never forget your first senior match? Do you still remember it pretty fondly? Uh, yeah, it flashes. <laughs> I, I, was, I was on the wing. Yeah. And that's where I, I like to stay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, you were playing against men. Yeah. But think i picked up pretty quickly that most weren't at a particular level where they could run Mm. so it was just about making sure i was clean and then move yeah focusing (laughs) on your strengths yeah yeah but more so for survival than than anything yeah especially in senior footy we get a few older blokes who try to target the young kin you know it's fair game to them yeah (laughs) yeah look i I felt I, i felt a little bit of that but I was probably fortunate as well. I was probably physically mature and I was certainly protected um, very well. Um, you know, I had people like Michael J- Jennings and, uh, and yeah. Yabby Tanner that, um, you know, people who, you know, I really look up to. Um, you know, Michael Jennings is the only one that I'll call legend um, just because, you know, he, he, he earned that title. Yeah. Um, just remember, he wouldn't even, uh, although he didn't stretch, which is something that I didn't follow. Um, yeah, he never ran uh, on the inside of a line, whether that was running a, a casual lap or whether it was a, a running set. He just he never did it, and um, it's something I bought into. So again, even though I wasn't necessarily self-aware myself, I was certainly becoming more aware of other people and how they operated and the standards that you probably want to portray yourself as well. Yeah, yeah, you know he. He pushed hard, um, you know, through to a cone. Mm. Yeah, just little things because when you at juniors, that type of intensity uh, is is not seen. Um, and he wasn't a big talker. He just led uh, by his actions. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So, <clears throat> first game, 15, 16, 17, and I guess start real things really get to get more real in your career at North Ballarat Rebels. Yep. Yeah, what do you remember of that time? How was that? Was that as cutthroat as it is now? Or and you played with some great players there as well, if you mind me touching on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah, how how was that experience? Yeah, well, look, it was again, it, it was fantastic. Um, looking back on it again, we were fortunate enough. People like Shane O'Brew, who went yeah. to Brisbane and then Collingwood. Um, Adam Goods, um, James Walker, who went to Freo. Um, there, there are a few that you know got picked up, but we probably grew as 15, 16 year olds. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, as we progressed, we were able to develop, you know, two or three years in the system, and then we were able to take it out um, in our in our final year. Mm, yeah, and that it can be quite intense sometimes those years I guess when you really want to try to make that highest level did you find it yeah look that's probably the biggest adjustment and something that 
still exists that that hasn't gone away mm-hmm. I'm very privileged in my position to still you know be in contact with young people one of the young players I coached um, a couple, few years ago is now with Geelong in Bradley Close mm-hmm. um, and he's had to do it tough and it's a fine line between system and trying to stand out mm-hmm. and I remember back in the day when I was 15, you'd always go to the paper on a, on a Saturday or Sunday and just look for your name yeah. and see if you were named in the, in the best six. Mm-hmm. But that's probably, again, not being totally aware of what the game was about yeah. because as we got exposed to, the more successful teams you have, the... Um, more people will get drafted. So that message probably got really drilled home in our final year where our coach, Gary Fletcher, at the time, again, fantastic person, um, you know, used to write notes to players all the time and someone who really believed in me because in my second year, um, I initially got a scholarship to Ballarat to St. Paddy's. Yep, yep, to St. Pat's. You know, AFL scholarship, left home. First That'll two be... or three weeks were the, the loneliest times yeah, of my life. You know, I was, yeah, I was crying, you know, most nights. I was, you know, questioning God, like, you know, why have you why have you brought me here yeah. for it to, to only really suck? And then it affected my football. Yeah. And I was waiting to get dropped. Yeah. You know, like he could have. And it would have been no worries. But he stuck fat and um, I ended up winning the best and fairest that year. So, and the first five games, like, yeah, Yeah. were were useless. Yeah. And then, obviously, without that great influence, I guess, you wouldn't have probably got to that next stage um, in at North Melbourne. Was that correct? And, oh, Essendon. Essendon. Essendon, Yeah. And then North Melbourne and and then, and experience the AFL, VFL level. Yeah. Yeah. Look, again, uh, very fortunate to have you know Bomber Thompson yeah. in my life at that time, who was the reserves coach, and I'd actually played in my last year four games um, for the reserves because that's what it was back in the yeah. day. As a seventeen-year-old, yeah, yeah, as a no, as an eighteen-year-old or seventeen, eighteen-year-old, yeah. and uh, because of the way I'd played, um, he yeah really believed in me, you know, then and there. Um, I didn't actually get picked up uh, for the Victorian squad that year. Mm-hmm. And I know after one game at Essendon, Bomber actually brought it up and was mystified. Someone, I think, got an injury, but then I was in the squad. Yeah, yeah and then played, you know, the, the actual championship. So, mm-hmm. yeah, to have someone in my corner um, from that that particular experience just meant a lot. Yeah, and then... So, excuse me, that would have been obviously quite another surreal experience, I guess. Again, coming out and playing with men and then, but having this backing of such a strong figure and man right there would made you think, well, I've got to stick to this somehow. Yeah, but it wasn't always like that. Yeah. Because I remember um, I, and this is going back before social media really hit off, I had been training with Essendon. And Essendon had a had the time where they were going to select their rookies along with everyone else at the AFL. And we were supposed to report for training. I turned up at the car park, but I never went in um, that particular day because like every time where it got close, I was always cut. Yeah. And even though, as you said, like Bomber believed in me, I didn't walk out of that car and I went home and I don't know whether it was a... A week or or two weeks later, uh, it wouldn't have been two weeks, but a week or so later, um, yeah, one of my housemates, you know, came in and was like, you know, congratulations, you you've been you've been picked up by us, and oh, that was yeah, that was pretty crazy because then I had to go in to the club and yeah, but they were really good mm-hmm. about it. Um, they welcomed me. Yeah, was there me some in. obviously some self doubt there? A lot, lot of self doubt. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, even from you know fifteen. And but that's that's a good journey to go through now because uh, you know when I talk to people like you know young Bradley Close, he had a lot of self doubt as well. But he did the grind and he got picked up at twenty one. Mm-hmm. So it's all and it's all it sounds somewhat cliche, but it's all a part of that process, isn't it? There's going to be times where you can decide to somewhat 
not make the most of an experience and cut out but there's always something there that kind of keeps you going or a sign somewhat so to speak that's like well you've got to keep working on it and you've got to keep going yeah um, it, like most people you, you've got to no, not most people all people have have a decision mm, yes. that they can make and as I said to Bradley you know, there are a lot of people that have gone up to say Sanford level I'll use that experience and for whatever reason it's it's got too tough and then they decide to leave and go somewhere else and that's totally fine but then they don't but potentially get that next experience mm. and he ended up going from you know not really being loved by his coach that's how he perceived it um to all of a sudden playing in Glenelg's premiership year last year wow. and then getting picked up <clears throat> and he did it tough yeah Mm. Yeah, then yeah, that, that's that decision. Is if you want to keep going, and yeah. that's the reaping the rewards of it all. Like I guess you experienced as well. Um, what do you remember of I guess training in the AFL level on and off the field? Um, the, the intensity was that one thing that, that stuck out. Yeah, more so at North Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. So when I went to North, I remember first session. Anthony Stevens at the time, um, yeah, did the warm up lap. Um, and by the time you finished your lap, you were basically sprinting, like so <laughs> on the warm up. <laughs> yeah, on, on the warm up lap, and yeah. and that happened every session, regardless of whether you had played a game or uh, you were just coming into preseason. And they had the worst facilities going around, yeah. but they trained the hardest. And Dennis Pagan created that environment. And it was certainly probably one that was ruled in in fear mm. as well. So, for example, it was called the walk of shame where if you stuffed up his training drills, he would kick you off the track. So he called Tony Elshaw, not that he needed Tony to say it, but he'd go, Tony, get him the off my track <laughs> now. They're very much that old school kind of. And the bloke... Or blokes would have to walk to the dugout and then would be called by Dennis Pagan when he felt like they could return. Yeah, but in saying that, you know, it had created elite standards and people people bought into that. But he was also a, a caring person as well. So yeah. he wasn't... <laughs> he, he had a unique balance. And it's very important to also highlight that these were two teams while well, your time there. They were very much at the top of the... The tree, weren't they? Because Essendon were knocking the door, I think, of a premiership. Oh, and, not uh, my year, not but your... the reserves played. Uh, we yeah. played off in a grand final against the Bulldogs. Mm. Um, Sheedy actually nearly got the sack that year. Yeah, okay. um, but at North Melbourne, yeah. yeah, they won the premiership the yeah. year yeah, I was there. Yeah, and was Duck around? Yeah, yeah. look, Wayne, Wayne Carey was there and he was, he was the top 10 in everything that he did. Um, but there was just a lot of good people around there. So... A lot of has been said about Kerry, yeah. you know, post and even his actions as well. But in terms of just pure football, mm-hmm. uh, I only saw him drop, make one error, and that was a drop mark in the wet. In the whole time. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, and, and everything was out in front too. He, he didn't mess around, but that's the same as all of them. Glenn Archer and Anthony Stevens weren't actually allowed to participate in uh, physical contact drills. Or box because they would just take it too far and actually hurt their um, their teammates. Ultra competitive. Yeah, u- ultra ultra competitive. But that's what they that's created. What, they yeah. won. I think Pagan won two flags. Yeah, that's what got them that ex- that success. That's what they built on. Yeah, yeah, and that and that chin bonus spirit. Mm. I guess somewhat. So what? I guess what drew you back to Portland? Um, was it family or was it? You know, just kind of well, sea change, and or just thought that opportunity closed. Well, look, I I made a decision. I'd been doing the grind, and I wasn't. I I'd just come on off knee surgery, just an arthroscope, <laughs> but it gave me a lot of time to have reflection. I'd just taken a year off to defer, and I just felt like I wasn't prepared to to do it again. And for security, um, yeah, to finish off my teaching degree, so I did that finish that off in another two years but I didn't come straight back to Portland I played a few years uh, in Melbourne at Aberfeldy yep. um, and unfortunately lost two two grand finals there back to back but that was a fantastic experience as, as well 
Uh, met a, a lot of good people. I think two or three were in my bridal party. Um, so, yeah, it's funny how things work out. Yep. Um, but I'd always wanted to be a teacher and I'd wanted to give back to my community yeah. as well. So I came back and I taught at Portland Secondary where I went to school. Yep. And then I also am now teaching at Haywood where I went to school as well. So I've nearly done 16, 17 years. So I feel like I've probably given back to both of those schools and we'll just see what happens was it, next. Um, the factor of giving back to the community that made you want to become a teacher or was it other things as well? Oh, look, I just... <laughs> I don't know. It, people have different ways. I was very lucky when I look back on it. I was, remember walking to my locker in year 10 and all of a sudden it was just like, I want to be a teacher. Yeah. And from there on in, my dream never changed. Uh, but that's that was what I just felt was my calling, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, very blessed to, to to have that because you see in my profession a lot of people just a lot of young kids struggling yeah. with I, I don't know what to do, but just trying to do their best and then see what doors open for them. Yeah, and I very much remember um, my early years when I went to secondary and then went to Bayview. How you would just build those relationships better than anyone else, and it was kind of transparent in your coaching career. How you take kids out for lunch and stuff like that. I remember, you know, Dilbar would go to Canton Palace with you sometimes, yeah. and other students. But you know, there was no one better at it, somewhat. And you know, it just kind of felt to me, and from the outside looking in, that you know, winners can build those relationships very well, and that was obviously important to you. Yeah. Well, look, I suppose one thing that. You know, I'm learning in terms of a commodity that a person can give. Like the most valuable thing is time, and very blessed in my life to have a lot of people that are not looking at their clock, not looking at their mobile phone, not looking for another conversation to have with someone else. They're just purely invested in me, and that's something. Whether it's been in my father's culture, around like my mother and her family. Um, all the people that I've had to spend a lot of time with, they've actually given me a lot back in return. And I don't know whether I've done those things intentionally. That's just what I believe is important. Mm. And that's something we're missing out on, I feel personally, in the society is that connection somewhat. We know we don't have people like yourself or great mentors like you spoke of that would give that, I think. And it's great that you know people still portray that somewhat yeah yeah it's it's really interesting because i was listening to a uh a a preacher the other day who was saying there's a fine line between um the theory and practical mm-hmm. so you know you can you can read the bible but if you don't practice it well there's a real problem there and even you know teachers when they come out of you know say for example university mm-hmm. um again people will buy um the person before they buy the program and but that's not how it's actually conducted when you're in front of people. You're just trying to sell them algebra, but yeah. there's necessarily no interest in, hey, how are you going today? Mm. Mm. <laughs> you know, are, you, are you okay? Yeah, it gets it gets yeah it gets dismissed from the teaching side of things. It's actually building connections and relationships with students. You're not yep. just there just to teach what's in the curriculum and what's in the book in front of them and that, I think that's what's missing a little bit today um, because I know oh, my, one of my best influences was my own teacher, a PE teacher at Bayview and it was very much a similar figure to yourself is that they're built on building relationships and connections and getting past that like you said and in, buying into the program itself. Yeah, and then you can sell them the program. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but there's that, there's that buy-in mm. as well which you know is a buzzword in uh, yeah. not just... Not just sport, but also at school. You know, how do you how do you get how do you get it? Well, yeah, peel it back and and give time. Yeah, it's it's something everywhere, and you know, kids not gonna, I believe, learn whatever's in front of them the curriculum if you don't if they're not gonna be invested in you and vice versa. Like it's not gonna happen. Yeah, yeah look, some kids are just driven because they're they're there mm. and they want to get somewhere. Like year twelve kids, or something. Yeah, yeah, but that's in our clientele down our way yeah in Hay- Hay- Haywood Portland yeah. it's that they would be in the minority yeah and I think that's probably fair too because that's reflected in you know study scores as well I think we have great teachers I mean don't get me wrong I'm sure there's some teachers that 
you know, you shouldn't be in the profession. Mm. But in saying that, there's, yeah, the, the minority are the ones that are, you know, say, for example, in China, you can have 100 kids to one teacher, yet they know that they need to do it because they, they can't let their family down. Mm-hmm. They need to do really well because it's so, it's yeah. so competitive there. Um, but that's again, it's a different environment. environment yeah, no, a hundred percent. And then also, if we go back a bit, when you come back to Portland, you've done your teaching degree and build a foundation that way. There was also that footy side still going. You, you played in quite a um, influential year in Portland's history. The the three peat, if, if I stand correct. Yeah, yeah. three peat, and we also won in two oh three as yeah. well. So four flags for yourself at Portland. Yes, yeah. I believe so. Yeah, yeah, I, I bet they would have been some amazing times, winners. Look, <laughs> they they are, and for and for different reasons too. Yeah, you know, two oh three. Like I just talk about me personally. Like I'd lost two grand finals back to back at Aberfeldy. Uh, before that, I'd also lost the Essendon one against the Bulldogs. So I was feeling like the jinx, you know, <laughs> almost. And it was that was really satisfying as well. That grand final win against South because we hadn't beaten them uh, throughout the season, but yeah. then we beat them in the first final, and then we got them in the grand final and they were still at their peak yeah which was which was fantastic yeah and then six seven eight also drew on some more great memories as well yeah and and memories too for different reasons as well so mark jeffries and other people came down you know in 2006 Mm -hmm. um some young players like marcus england and co would were just coming up as well so it was it was almost like there was a bit of a changing of the guard happening yeah. and there were probably a couple of people like myself that were you know in the middle of it all um but yeah that i suppose in a way you know i suppose yeah a dynasty in a way like a three-peat that doesn't happen too often mm. uh yeah it was it was a special time yeah oh, no doubt and then something i'll be remembered by portland locals and people in the area for a long time um what got you into the coaching side of things winners i guess there is we see now in football coaching. There's a lot of um, comparisons and relations. Uh, yeah, a lot of comparisons between teachers going into football and the teaching style of coaching. What kind of got you into that 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 phase of your life and career? Yeah. Well, look. Um, I suppose I first started coaching at South Portland, mm. um, and before that, I was in 2003. I was coaching the under. Oh, 13 girls netball Is as well. Something you've always wanted to do? Yeah, no. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they were just probably the first three things were by default. So I was teaching young girls at school and I didn't feel like I did enough you know, with them. So that was a particular way to spend time with them outside of the classroom and and be in a totally different setting uh, yep. as well, which is important. So I did that. Um, then I coached South Portland. Uh, that again was by default because they were really struggling for numbers. Uh, they were doing it tough, and they probably, I suppose, in a way, needed a figurehead. I'd been, as I keep talking about, with Bobby Gladman and Co. Yeah, it was time to just give back, regardless of the results. And they were, you know, some of the best times. And I probably did some things that i wouldn't do again but i certainly tried to make it enjoyable Mm. we didn't win a game in those two years but we had really high attendance we had kids who became really good players and i kept selling that to them as well because sometimes kids and coaches lose sight of the fact that the majority of a person's footballing career if they choose to follow Mm. will be played as an adult so wins and losses unfortunately become they infiltrate the junior system yeah our predicament was that that wasn't going to happen yeah <laughs> so we so that wasn't an issue for us but i keep kept selling them that if you have if you become a really good teammate you'll eventually get there and i played in a heath uh, in a premiership with heath brown two years later yeah. you know i yeah. dylan fry could have, should have played in 2008. Yeah. Cameron Mather, you know, went on to become a fantastic, you know, senior footballer. Not too many people would, would remember that they played their junior footy and they didn't win, yeah. you know, games. But they hopefully became, you know, really good people. 
and really good teammates. And that'd be a very proud moment for you as a coach as well to see that development and growth and stand next to them winning a flag. Yeah, it's like anything. You know, you've got to have a belief mm. in, in what you're about. And even though there wasn't too much of what I was trying to do with them back in back then, um, it was certainly about making sure that they were good teammates. And, and going through it, you know, Sam Boyer, uh, I shouldn't say his name, but young Sam, he's, he's, he's right now. Like He went out with some of the boys on a Saturday yeah. night and he, he rocked up the next morning with a black eye uh, to the game. It wasn't necessarily his fault, but the fact that he was drinking the night before yeah. um, and put himself in that situation, unfortunately compromised the team. Mm. And, you know, the the next week, you know, I had them... Um, swimming off down Pivot Beach um, <laughs> just as a way of just getting them to realise self-awareness mm. that they, everything they do yeah. has an impact on everyone else around them yeah. in a team game because that's what separates it from golf. Mm, yeah, no, I totally agree. And that's, and that's what you sign up for. Mm. You know, you, you shouldn't know any way different, I guess, as well in team sport like Aussie Rules yeah. and AFL. Yeah. So to then get... Uh, at Portland my first year because yeah. not too many people win a, two flags and then get sacked. Mm. Um, and that's what happened with Mark Jeffries. Yeah. He was our coach. And then for a variety of reasons, he got sacked. Mm. And, you know, Vaughan Hockley and Jan Quinlevin, they had uh, worries that everyone, everything was going to fall apart. And I remember taking the call in Hall's Gap and Vaughan Hockley is like, you you got to coach. You know, otherwise this is this is not going to go well. And so it wasn't like I wanted to be a coach. Yeah, again, that default thing again. <laughs> it, it, was, it was, again, the, the bigger picture. And um, But after round, after round one, when we narrowly lost to Imperials on our home deck, yeah, it was, I had to, I had to lock in and become a coach and yeah. not their mate. Um, was that hard? It, it, it was for the, but I made that hard for myself because I didn't establish those boundaries but I did after round one when we lost yep and then we didn't lose to them again Mm, yeah that's amazing yeah Mm. and it's funny because when I look back at when I first talked to Holdy um, he kind of had a similar story where he just kind of fell into senior coaching and never thought it it kind of happened and it's funny how those things happen that way by default (laughs) how was your I guess coaching philosophy changed and um, I guess you as a person, I'd say. Yeah, philosophy, but it's it's probably not so much like my philosophy's changed. It's it's more that it's grown, and uh, again, it, you know, when I first looked back on it, it was about method. So mm. there's a there's a difference between say principles, philosophy, and yeah, yeah and how you go about things. Like philosophy is like why why you you do them, and the inherent belief in in what you do. So. For me, back in the day, it was all about method. You know, it was all about tactics. Mm-hmm. You know, trick plays, whatnot. But then all of a sudden, it became like my philosophy has sharpened and hasn't necessarily changed too much now. Muhammad Ali, I think, has written the sh- wrote the shortest poem. Mm-hmm. It's uh, me question mark and we full stop. And I suppose I'll challenge you. With that, what what do you think that might mean in terms of a, a philosophy and how he sees himself? Oh, yeah, well, it's, it's, a, it's more of a big impact. I feel we like we is in what everything that you do and everything around you and how that impacts and me is also included with we. That's how I see it somewhat, you know. And how how does your influence impact everyone around you? I think somewhat. Yeah, so it's almost like the you know the Ubuntu theory of mm. it takes a whole village to raise a child. Yeah, yeah, it's it's this idea of it's it's us. Yeah, it's it's not it's, it's not, not me. always just you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it's not to say that you can't take away the me. It's mm. just that everything is in collaboration. Everyone, you're allowed difference. You mm. need difference, but that difference has to flourish for a common goal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it's like, yeah, you've got gifts, Patty. Mm. You give them to to us because yeah. we, we, we need you, but we need you doing it this particular reason. And and so that goes with me. So, 
You know, I was very open about it with my assistant coach and a couple of players the other day when I took them out at, for tea at Port Ferry. Very clearly, I can't do this yeah. without you. That's that, that's just my belief. So that's mm. that's my philosophy. No, yeah. I, and I completely agree. I think it's completely relatable to obviously the things that we do in life and everyday things as well. It's much bigger than that. I think in that message and probably also in your method or philosophy that it's much bigger than football it's about you as a person and about what you do for the community as well yeah so and then it has to be acted mm. so if if that's my belief well say for example my method at training it's not me that's the voice yeah so that's not to say that i can't give instruction <laughs> yeah. because otherwise why would i be there yeah. but um you know my players have a voice my assistant coaches have voices mm. but the vision is there that's where we want to get to but we need everyone we need everyone doing it yeah no i totally agree mm. and um we spoke the other night about um you've taken on board the next coach program yeah how have you found that so far and if for the listeners you just want to explain that a little bit more and dig deep into that how's yeah. that been so far yeah so the next program next coach program is uh from what i believe is being designed by the afl players association to help Say for example, AFL coaches. Yeah. Uh, sorry, yeah, um, be more um, seasoned when they get in. So, a lot of players in the AFL will all of a sudden become, you know, coaches. But playing and coaching are two totally different things. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, if you look at say Michael Voss, you know, James Heard, and even the football yeah. landscape in general, because AFL probably has the youngest coaches in in any sport yeah like the rest of them are like employed in their 50s yeah bill belichick is pretty old yeah. Isn't he? Yeah. He, and they continue to be old yeah yeah but so they they celebrate you know failures mm. um and people learning their craft before they walk in so this next program is helping sharpen people's philosophies not not so much tactics because mm. Any game plan can be dismantled. Like it's about getting the game on your terms. Um, it's not more, Richmond's yet. No, yeah. <laughs> it's more just about your. Yeah. It's just nah. more about your philosophy yeah. um, and making sure that that's you know really strong because that helps set your foundation and then your talent helps set your ceiling. Yeah. So, it, but it has to it has to go in that order. It's that buy-in as well. You know, like no one's going to buy into your game plan if they don't see your philosophy is something worth standing by and joining you with is somewhat... Yeah, yeah. that's right. And mm. then you've got to be strong with your culture too because those aren't going to be a part of it. And it's mm. probably more difficult in country footy, but they should be politely shown the door Yeah, no, if no. they're not going to be a part of it. Yeah, yeah. Have you... <clears throat> I guess, do you have any regrets somewhat in your football career that you uh look it's it's a really good question because and it's probably one that i can answer truthfully retrospectively Mm -hmm. so for example when it happened initially man i was down Mm -hmm. yeah you know in a really dark place because my identity was football yeah that's you know, I'd read the paper. I thought people liked me because you know I was I was witnessing me the footballer, mm. and that that really hit hard because it's like, what am I gonna what am I gonna do with the rest of my life? It's hard when they don't look past that. I guess sometimes, not the yeah, man. very much so. But when it happened and I got past past that through you know the love of my family and and faith and good friends as well, um, I was talking about it with someone while we were fishing on the weekend and if I had continued pursuing say the football dream I may never have come back and gone to Shell service station and asked my future wife out and not have two children now and not have as you you know we talked about the premierships or for me to find myself as a teacher and a coach it's one of those sliding door moments. Yeah. Like one closes another one. Yeah, opens, so it's, it's very true. It's like you know, could, could it have happened? Would I have loved being an AFL player? Most certainly, mm. but that didn't happen. And now that I look back on it too, yeah, I'm very comfortable with the fact mm. that it didn't yeah. because a lot of 
a lot of good things and different things happen to probably how I envisioned them from the ages of 15 to 19. Yeah. And I think personally, I'm getting to that point as well where it's like, well, I'm a young man about to take in the world, but I've been blessed somewhat. Very similar to you from what you were saying, Linus, you know, in a different culture and growing up and that, you know, there are things bigger and there are other doors that open up and I can, you know, 100% relate to that, especially at this age now where it's just like, well, when I, and I can look back retrospectively, we're back at 18, 17, where, you know, I was trying to do everything I can to play the great Portland side, but realistically coming back out, you know, it's, it's retrospect and it's perspective. Um, it's like, well, I somewhat wouldn't have changed in any other way. I've experienced other things and learned more things about myself and matured as a poor person, which is more important as well. And then, yeah, I, t- I totally agree in that way somewhat. Yeah. So you mentioned, Mel and your kids, they're Mel. That they're great. Um, behind every great man is an even better woman. Um, so I'm sure she's shown you a lot of, I guess, support growing up. And how was becoming a father and a husband as an experience as well? Yeah. So look, she. We've talked a lot about men, um, yeah. and rightly so too. But yeah, Mel's certainly sharpened me. You know, as a, as a person, mm. uh, my longest relationship before Melissa was two weeks. I dated a girl for four weeks, but we broke up twice, so yeah. kept my average. <laughs> Not something that I pried up. Uh, but I, look, I was a terrible partner. It, it was all about the boys. Um, yeah. It was about it was about me. You know, it's like when I wanted something out of the relationship. That's when you know the lights would get turned on. Um, whereas you know, with Melissa, you know, I remember even saying to her, "Look, if this just gets hard work." Well, we'll just like we'll just call it, won't we? (laughs) Self sabotage. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And it it got tough, you know. And she she decided to no, that's 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 it's not happening. And you know, I ended up going to the cinema at Mount Gambier and crying that night and walking (laughs) the streets, and then coming back the next day and saying, no, no, this can't Mm. be it. You know, we'll we'll make it, we'll make it work. And yeah, I was very grateful that yeah she took me back, but. Yeah, you know, I find in her strength uh, as well. You know, we unfortunately things haven't necessarily been easy for us either. Mm. Like we, unfortunately, had a had a miscarriage, um, you know, a few years ago, and uh, it, that that was tough. Um, but more so on Melissa, mm. and you know, again, you just become like exposed to a different type of strength. Yeah. Like my idea of strength was like all in, in muscles and appearance and like yeah. a bigger perspective again moment. Like yeah. seeing things differently. Yeah. Yeah. So look I, I love I love my you know, I love my kids. You know, we've been very blessed to, you know, have a have another mm-hmm. child now in Isaiah mm-hmm. who's like it's been a long journey, you know, seven, seven years. Um, yeah, to get there. Um, lots of peaks and lots of valleys. Um, but yeah, she's um been really strong through it all and uh yeah, it just goes to goes to show. Yeah, what mm. having someone really special in your life, yeah, can can do for you. Yeah, thank um, thank God for Shell. Mm. Yes, yeah. <laughs> the petrol station in the ring. <laughs> <laughs> was that nervous? That would have been bloody nervous, I reckon. Yeah, yeah it was because I, I hadn't talked to her before, <laughs> so I didn't tell too many people about it. Um, I'm not the best. Uh, yeah, with. Uh, with words to the opposite sex yeah. that never came easy to me like it did a few of my friends yeah. um yeah so i didn't tell anyone about it and i'm probably lucky that i had dark skin because yeah. i felt like i was on fire yeah. <laughs> when i walked in yeah. and uh yeah she said yes to the date and uh, the, the rest is history <laughs> was the that, that, that's amazing so how many years now married together and how, how old, young are the young ones yeah uh, so noah is uh noah's six mm. uh and yeah isaiah is nearly nine weeks yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that's and married for over 10 years yeah. now yeah that's amazing mm. um speaking on back on the education side of things is there any big i guess experience or influence or relationship that's kind of stuck out to you working at these so-called underprivileged somewhat um schools and is there anything like is there anything that stuck out to you in relationships you built there with youth or teens that kind of well again like we talked about change your perspective on things um or was it always just a goal to do that yeah look it's always been it's always been a, a goal to to teach and 
to teach holistically as well. Mm. Like I really love my method. Like English is what what I love. Yeah. You know, teaching kids to extract what they can from a text, but then not just apply it to an essay, but apply it to apply it to life. Mm. You know, so mm. say for example, if the only learning that a kid can get out of uh, To Kill a Mockingbird is to write an essay, then that would that would be um, yeah. a shame. Yeah. So. Yeah, even in the dark times of teaching where you, you you potentially don't want to turn up the next day, you know, I've had some, you know, tough times. I've, I've kicked an entire class out and said, come back when you're ready to learn. I don't know if that was the right thing to do. It was very early <laughs> I'm on I've had a teacher teaching. do that too. But. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, to their credit, they turned back, uh, they turned they turned up and we, um, again, just set that standard and, you know, they, they're doing, you know, really well. So... Mm. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm proud. As I keep saying to them, I'm proud of them. Whatever they want to do, if they want to work at Safeway, there's nothing wrong with that, so long as it's the choice that they, that want, they to want, want to do that. Mm, that's an important message yeah. for kids. If they mm. want to. If they want to be a mother, or they want to be a father, well, that's fine. Mm. You don't need to go away to uni. Yeah. My my dad's a you know a handyman, mows lawns. You know, great man. Yeah, and yeah. if you're happy doing that. As well. well, whatever choice you make, if you're purely happy doing it, then there's no one else that can tell you any different. That's right. Well. Yeah, and that's really... Kids, I think even more days, um, don't get that message enough, I think. And I think, unfortunately, it's getting harder but with people like you in us and that can continue to go. So, just as we close up, mate, well, any future plans or ambitions that you got in store? Is Do you want to see how long you can take your coaching career and how long that can go down or is there anything else in the works? No, look, the good thing is I don't need to coach. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's something that, you know, is tough at the moment. Port Ferry in a really unique um, area. Their, their mentality is really unique as well but... I read the Neil Danoher book the other day, um, and if anyone hasn't, you know, please do. But like, it's always about where's the opportunity. Um, so there's a wonderful opportunity there at Port Ferry to create something really special. You know, to create a culture that is about community and and growing, you know, a lot of good people. Um, but look, short short term, it's it's all about family. It's about yeah, giving good energy to you know my wife and and two kids and and also all the people that I am around with. But mm. making sure I prioritise that as well. Mm. Like sometimes struggle with the balance. Yeah, of things. Don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> Winner. Um, I just want to. It's getting a bit late, mate. But I'd like to thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate you giving up your time, especially after the next coach program today. And. I'm sure a lot of my, I guess my listeners and myself and also Michael got a lot from this conversation and I really appreciate it and all the best for this year on and off the footy field, mate. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ennis. Cheers. <laughs> How about that for an episode, guys? I hope you all really enjoyed that one. Quick shout out to my man, Michael Peters, the man behind the camera, and also big, big love to 3RPC for allowing us to utilize the studio space. Without you guys, none of this would be possible. So big thank you. Please make sure you all follow at a chat with Pat on Instagram. Subscribe to the podcast via Spotify and iTunes and please don't be afraid to leave a review. We are open to all feedback to make this as good as possible for all our listeners. Stay safe and all my love, guys. You.